0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives.
1: Hello, my name is Richard Chanick. I'm at UCLA Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about hot topics from the recent ERS ESC guidelines. And we're going to focus on treatment aspects of these guidelines. Delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Rajan Sagar from UCLA also. Welcome, Raj. And Dr. Iwana Preston from Tufts University. Welcome, Iwana. So let's dig right into the, the algorithm. These guidelines have a treatment algorithm associated with them, and a lot of this algorithm reflects some of the concepts that we talk about all the time with risk assessment, Initial combination therapy. So we're not going to go into all the every little detail of the algorithm. One of the things that really emerged, that was I would say, is definitely a hot topic, is this concept of comorbidities. And maybe you can very briefly want to summarize what the algorithm said related to comorbidities. That was a big change, I think.
0: Yes, uh, Rich. In, indeed, a big change. So the treatment algorithm divided clearly patients into two buckets patients with a typical PAH phenotype, and they were called PAH without comorbidities, and patients who have other conditions that do not cause PAH, but they're significant enough that they have to be taken into consideration, and those are called PAH with comorbidities. And it Uh, recommends for first bucket the treatment algorithm for the typical PAH, double combination therapy, triple combination when it's necessary and whatnot, and then suggests for those patients with comorbidity a much more cautious approach and not start dual, but monotherapy and then rethink.
1: Yeah, and and Raj, why do you think they made this change? What's the rationale there?
2: Well, I think, you know, just going back to... Why we have group 1 and group 2 pH to begin with, right, is, is the idea, obviously, that you can have pulmonary hypertension from different, from different uh, you know, from uh, uh, left heart disease, which can cause group 2 pH. But the concept was, for many years, was that, look, you know, we don't want to treat patients uh, with these drugs who have left heart disease driving their pH because we may make these patients worse. But what we've realized over time is that a lot of these patients present with—I mean—they're very heterogeneous. So you can have patients with left heart disease and mild, sort of, pulmonary hypertension, and then the spectrum all the way to severe. So um, this was first looked at in the Ambition study, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And in the Ambition study, where we where we now, you know, got the dual dual therapy, uh, you know, upfront dual therapy, which is now standard of care. Uh, They had, as you all know, uh, a group of patients in there sort of early on in this trial, which had three or more risk factors or comorbidities for left heart disease. And I think that study um, showed that, yeah, while the patients who had comorbidities didn't do as well as the patients without comorbidities, they still had a 30% reduction in clinical failure uh, as opposed to the 50% reduction in clinical failure as compared to the pooled monotherapy yet they also had more side effects with the medications. They were more likely to discontinue the medications, but they still benefited to some degree. And I think that theme has sort of gone through with several registry approaches to this. So I think while things are muted with those patients, uh, they still potentially, if they have a significant pH phenotype, perhaps deserve a little bit more of a a spectrum approach, maybe not just monotherapy up front.
1: Yeah, and I think that, and I'll I'll see what you're saying. I mean, I think... The message was that, you know, you consider monotherapy up front, but obviously they're still reassessing and maybe taking a stepwise approach rather than two drugs at once if they have this, what they call left heart or, you know, cardiopulmonary phenotype they refer to. Um, I mean, let's talk about your practice. I mean, are there patients where you take that exact approach?
0: As our population of pH patients lives longer, and the uh, age of diagnosis has moved compared to the 1980s we do diagnose group 1 ph patients that have several other comorbidities but if you have a 50 year old woman with group 1 ph idiopathic right. who also has systemic hypertension that's well controlled uh, you know with a one antihypertensive is that a patient with comorbidity i think the guidelines because if you read the the footnotes, and that's the problem, it wasn't put in the main graph algorithm. If you read the footnotes, they would they want you to highlight those patients who have significant comorbidities and an atypical phenotype of PAH that need a little bit more cautious approach. Not the typical PAH with a comorbidities.
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point. Not all comorbidities are created equal. Exactly. And you have to look at it with a little more nuance. I want to change gears in the remaining minute or so that we have. You know, we talk all about these guidelines and treatments and all these things, these great things in PAH. But one of the overwhelming problems, we really have to be perfectly honest, is actually getting these therapies to all of our patients. And we have a very large underserved population. We do, and I'm sure you do. And obviously, this isn't something we're going to solve right now, um, but, you know, wh- how should we approach these patients to try to help them out?
0: Yeah, it's a very good question, and it's an acute question. And uh, it's not only in PAH, which is a rare disease, but it's more acute in PAH because it's a rare disease. So access to diagnosis to the right uh, specialist, uh, access to knowledge that there is such a thing, uh, not only for for patients who are underserved, but doctors who work in underserved areas who don't have the resources to look for rare conditions. I mean, right?
1: I think with the technology we have, we should be able to get at these patients. I Close mean, we do the I mean, is that the future technology? I mean, I
2: think, I think obviously COVID has, has, has made televisits uh, uh, more mainstream, but... Uh, the patients have to find us or we have to find the patients. So you're still stuck yeah. with
0: yeah. You know, this so, situation. You know, as as we're talking, I'm thinking artificial intelligence tools that can pick modifications on a regular EKG or a chest X-ray to trigger the question for pulmonary vascular disease. Yeah,
1: that's where it to be headed. That's maybe
0: one way yeah. to go to pick those patients right. who don't have the uh, the support system in the uh, Community.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's all the time we have. Thanks. It's a great discussion. A lot more we could talk about. And thank you all for listening.
2: You've been listening to
0: CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME, LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.